Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am rejoined by Geraldine Carter. Geraldine, welcome to the show. Hi, Jonathan. Good to be with you. I think this is a three-peat. You might be tied with Blair Ends. Oh boy. <laughs> Some serious company. Show. Right. Cool. So the, the topic for today is going to be around niching down or niching down as we'll probably be saying quite a bit. Uh, but before we get to that, could you give folks who haven't heard your name yet a little bit of background about who you are and what you do? Sure. So Geraldine Carter, I work with solo CPAs and single owner firms to help them get down to a 40 hour work week without a drop in revenue. Mm, make more in less time. I like it. Um, okay. So the, the first thing we wanted to talk about here is when you with when you're working, uh, when you first start working with a new client, I know that one of the first things you do is kind of winnow down their book of business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my clients are way overworked. What is the process or what do you look at to help them sort of select which ones are the best fit for them and which ones would be a better fit for someone else? So I think the first thing is to help them address whatever concerns that they have about winnowing down their client roster, because the tendency, the going thinking in the accounting space is to think that more clients is better because revenue comes from clients. So we need to undo that thinking and help them see how revenue comes from value. And if they can provide more value to any number of clients, whatever that number is, that the revenue piece takes care of itself when we focus on the value. So we need to move that piece out of the way to assuage the concern of it's okay to let go of clients because in many cases that will just elicit a fear response and they'll um, kind of get gripped. So, so once we loosen that and we talk about, okay, what are all the ways you could potentially be providing more value to a certain subset of your clients, then they're much more willing to take a step back and look at their client roster and go, okay, I would be happy to get rid of, right? And then we move through a process of who are the ones that you would be happy to get rid of. And usually that includes the ones who are kind of jerky and treat your staff unkindly, the ones who are not profitable or you're losing money on, and there are almost always a bunch of those. And then there's the kind of work that you want to be doing. So some CPAs love tax work and others do not like tax work. Some of them want monthly accounting that's pretty straightforward and a little bit of advisory. And some of them want to go more like fractional CFO, kind of higher level work. And then we dig into, you know, who are the people that you really enjoy and who do you have a heart for and um, who do you not enjoy working with, either by personality or temperament or by industry. So if you do not like e-commerce because there's a ton of inventory and it's a lot of data fields that you try and get to merge, let's... Um, let's slice those ones off. Or maybe you love e-commerce because you're fascinated by the data fields and you want to get it to all merge. So we just need to figure out where they have their sort of natural affinities that they haven't let surface yet because they've just been under such a huge pile of work. Mm, interesting. Okay. So it's kind of, other than the profitability piece, it sounds like it's mostly a combination of your gut instinct and their gut instinct. It's like, what, who do I like working with and, and what do I like doing? What type of work do I like doing? And then finding the overlap between the people you like working with and the ones who need that kind of work done. And then that center of that Venn diagram is like your best fit clients. Yeah. So of... it is, yeah. It's like you say, help people, you like get what they want. Yeah. And, um, and you can tell I listen, right? Um, <laughs> so and it's it used to be when I started out doing this part of the process with my clients, it was much more cerebral and logical. And we'd have a spreadsheet and we'd score clients and tally up the score and then sort them by, you know, in ascending <laughs> order or whatever to help filter out. But having done it so many times now, I know how the conversation goes that I can just cut right through, like I can separate the wheat from the chaff really quickly and help the client isolate where they really want to be. And usually they know they know down deep inside where they want to be, but they just haven't given themselves time and space or permission to let that idea surface as a possible business model. So we just need to give it breathing room and then usually it pops right out. Mm, interesting. And when you talk about value, creating more value for that, that subset, what do you mean there? Do you mean 
making new kinds of offers, new offerings, or is it is it that there's more they're leaving money on the table and it's more like just raise the prices on those folks because they are the ones that value the relationship the most? So it's a bunch of things. It's it's certainly leaving money on the table because of a history of hourly billing, but also because of pricing after the fact and or billing after the fact, excuse me, mm. um, there it can be a lack of clarity about what the what people will actually pay for. But one of the main things is that because CPAs tend to say yes and be there's a tendency to say yes to any business because business is money in air quotes. Mm-hmm. That they get overworked and then, you know, clients have questions and needs and that are more than expected and they run well beyond, their business runs well beyond capacity and they make up for the capacity by working long hours. So, and then what happens is that the CPA can't um, be proactive with their clients to help the client get the thing, the things that they're really looking for. And when I ask CPAs, when I ask my clients, if you could give your clients exactly what they needed and do all the things for them that you know they need, but you don't have time to get around to, what would that list include? And they list out a bunch of things. And I'm like, great. If you did all these things, let's put dollar signs next to each of these. What is that worth? If you did a cost segregation study, how much you might you be able to help a taxpayer save? If they have real estate investments, you do a cost segregation study. That's a you know a piece of property that's like a million dollars. And they're like, oh, I could maybe save them whatever the number is, $10,000, $50,000. And we go through the list of, you know, what would this save your buyer or how much could you help them improve their revenue if you had time, energy, and space to focus on them? And when we add up the dollars and we do the math, it routinely comes out to 15%. Like I could help my client do 15% better if I had the time and space. Mm. And I'm like, great. (laughs) (laughs) So why aren't you doing this? And they're like, oh, I'm overworked and all the rest. So, yeah. um, but if we can determine the dollar signs on the value that they can help their business owner increase their profitability, reduce their tax exposure, that kind of thing, then they start to see the value that they can create for that subset of clients. And then they're like, okay, now I can see how if I let go of all these clients who are like, they're great people, but they're sort of sand in the gears of the business that they can create more value for a smaller subset of clients, have fewer clients, fewer headaches, fewer fires, and increase their prices by a lot. Mm-hmm. Cool. How often, I'm curious how often when they do narrow down on the, their favorite subset, how often does that correspond to like either a an industry vertical or a psychographic or maybe it's demographic? Is there, how often is it that it's, well, I guess let's let's stick with vertical first. How often is it that it's like an industry or, uh, you know, if we're talking about B2B? It's almost always an industry or a vertical. Sometimes it's a horizontal. It's never, it's, I want to say never, but I don't want to be absolutist, but I think it's never ever a psychographic or a demographic. Okay. Mm, a little bit. Of, it's sometimes a little bit of demographic, like high net worth individuals. Or like I would think local also. So it used to be local. I mean, they used to by default be local because until COVID, they were all local pretty much. The accounting space was, you know, got dragged kicking and screaming to go virtual into the cloud and online. Mm-hmm. And um, but when they did it, so before that, they were pretty much inside their zip code, which is what which is one reason legitimately sort of to give them credit, it may have been more difficult for them to niche because they were kind of tied to geography, although by sort of their own volition because they weren't going online. Mm -hmm. But now that the vast majority are online, they've been untethered from their zip code and it makes it much easier to niche. Mm, That's a good point. Yeah, it's funny. I've had the same accountant for since 2006. So like, what is that? Yeah, 17 17 years. years. I've met her once. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The person wants she might as well be in montana it doesn't matter you know that's funny um okay so can can you share some examples just to give the listener an idea of what we're talking about you know industry vertical or whatever can you give some examples of of uh industries that some of your past customers have niched down on sure yeah so let's see um restaurants and bars mm-hmm. creatives non uh seven and eight figure nonprofits 
Um, five to $10 million construction companies, physicians in private practice, not the W-2 ones. Um, who else is there? Coaches and consultants, six and seven figure coaches and consultants. Hmm. Residential assisted living. <laughs> very, all of these are very specific. Yep. I love it. I yeah. Love it. Eng uh, engineers, like mm. the... Um, like choo-choo train? Uh, no. <laughs> so there's a couple kinds, right? So there's like the government contractor type engineers. And then there's the oil and gas engineers. And who else? Let's see. And then solopreneurs who want to have like the soloist lifestyle, not the retire early types, but the, you know, kind of live the dream while you're living it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's real estate. And let's see what else is on the list. Oh, and then I had one that was really fun. Um, we, we playfully called it vices because it was like fast cars <laughs> and uh, sports memorabilia and things uh, like that. Wild. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So what, what kind of resistance do you get from people when you're, you suggest this sort of thing, when it becomes obvious to them, they're like, oh, you know, I'm going to niche down on, on, what did you say? Like mechanical engineers that get government contracts. So it's, it's almost like logically they know that it's the right thing, but it takes their spirit, if you will, a little bit of time to catch up that it's okay. So their brain knows that it's the right direction to go in and they do it, but they do it kind of uncomfortably and carrying a box of trepidation. Mm -hmm. And that usually takes about mm, two, three months for once they start to get some traction. Yeah. So once they start to get some traction, which takes about two to three months, that's when that fear starts to evaporate. Mm -hmm. Okay. What happens if it takes longer than that to get traction? So we need to look at, well, it usually doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair. How, how, I should have said, how often does it take longer than that? To how often does it take energy? longer? To, I mean, if you're, I would almost ask the question differently. And I would okay. say, if it takes longer than that to get traction, what is it that is happening or not happening? And it's usually, if it's taking longer to get traction, it is because, it can be because there are other things in the way that we need to look at. So in terms of getting traction, what's required to get traction is go all in and tell everybody that this is where you're going and say, if you know anybody like this, hook me up, connect me. I'd love to have a conversation with them. And if you're doing those activities, that's the thing that creates the traction. That's the thing. That's the seed planting activity where you're putting your seeds in the fresh soil and, you know, tilling your, tilling your garden, putting the seeds in the soil, watering it. And it takes, you know, six to eight weeks for your little things to sprout. <laughs> and if nothing's sprouting, it's rarely because the seeds are bad. It's usually because they're not watering. So we need to figure out why they're not watering. Got it. And it could be that because they still have too much of a giant workload in front of them that they haven't been able to get out from under. So if that's the case, then we address that problem. If it's that they don't know anybody in their um, in their zip code, then we address that problem. And if it's because they're you know shy about getting out, then we address that problem. So it's more a matter of if it's not working, we need to dig into why it's not working. And if they're not doing the activities, we need to dig into why they're not doing the activities. Right. And it seems like in many cases, they would already have a few people from this vertical on their client roster, or they probably wouldn't have, or do, or do people sometimes just pick people they've never worked with before? It's usually the case that the CPA will have a handful of those kinds of clients already pre-existing on their client roster. Sometimes they start from scratch, but that's more, I'd say that's more like 20% of the time, but it still works either way. I mean, the thing, if you already have a, an existing subset of those kinds of clients, it sort of greases the wheels and opens the doors a bit more easily. Yeah. And if you don't, it just makes that very first step a little bit harder. But once you get past that first step of going out into your community and going to events and networking functions and things, then you can get past that step, you know, in a matter of a couple of weeks. Cool. All right. And when, when someone is getting traction, what is the thing that they're noticing that makes them feel like it's traction? Is it the phone is ringing yeah. with these kinds of people and they're like, oh, yes. I'm getting all these calls set up. Okay. Yeah. So and the other thing that happens, so that, 
and <laughs> and serendipity reports of serendipity yep yes i've gotten that too yeah they're like geraldine you're not gonna believe that so-and-so <laughs> met so-and-so and my best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend told me that i have to talk to so-and-so <laughs> yeah, it's like magic it's like, oh, all of a sudden marketing works? Weird. I thought it was just mumbo jumbo. Well, I mean, it does look like magic because you don't see the conversations that happen behind the scenes while you're not there. Right. Right. So like yeah. all of a sudden it comes back to you and you're like, oh my gosh, like people talked about me. I'm like, yes, people <laughs> talked about you because you went out and talked to people. That's what happens. Yeah. I tell people when they have a really, really narrow positioning statement, it turns your entire network into an outside sales force. Yes, totally. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're like, oh my gosh, you have to talk to this person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I do a lot of the same sort of work with my students and there are a number of objections other than the ones you've already raised. Uh, there's some other objections that our, our friend Philip Morgan would call the positioning fear reflex. Um, and one of them, do you ever get people who are like, oh, I'll get bored if I'm just uh, serving the vice industry or whatever? <laughs> yes, all the time. Boredom, I think, is the number one objection. And I think it's a really interesting objection that is worth unpacking because I think there are at least three prongs of boredom that I've identified so far. And one of them is if you have a propensity to get bored, it doesn't matter what the situation is. The propensity to get bored is just a thought pattern. So rather than address, rather than think that niching is the problem, Treat the thought pattern, which is I'm bored. I have nothing to do. I've been doing the same thing 15,000 times over again. I can't stick a fork in my eye, mm -hmm. right? So treat the thought pattern first of boredom because people who don't have a propensity to get bored don't get bored no matter what they do. <laughs> that's funny. so. That's true. So that's So deal with the thought pattern of boredom. And the second one is if you're doing the same thing again and again and again, that is what you want. Because when you find your niche and you're doing the same thing again and again and again for your people or not doing it, but saying it, right? Saying the expertise again and again and again, mm -hmm. you have found the sweet spot because that is what enables you to offer productized service, digital products, and scale in a one-to-many format without, like you say, doing hands work. Mm -hmm. So you're actually looking for the repeat, the pattern. Yep. So that you can scale on that. And it's right. it's too bad in a way that so many people throw the boredom mu uh, ruse or red herring up and they believe it because they're missing out on the, the sense of fulfillment and the energy and the sense of feeling compelled to do your work that comes when you know your niche inside and out. You really deeply understand their problems. You can offer a ton of value. And when you can do that in a scaled way and offer it to the masses, there's a level of fulfillment that you will never get when you throw up the red herring of, oh, I'll get bored. You just miss out on that whole thing. Right. Yeah. The, the pattern repetition thing just, it reminded me of when I was back in college and I would practice scales like 10 hours a day. And, and it was, and I would like, it never occurred to me to think like, oh, if I, I don't want to play guitar because I'll get bored because I have to practice scales all the time. I have to practice this movement over and over. And it's like, it's just completely missing the point mm -hmm. where like the reps is where the expertise comes from. So it, uh, an, another uh, another guest of the show, uh, Corey Quinn, he, he puts it like this. Uh, at a certain point, you have to prioritize expertise over variety. You know, it's like, and the way I talk about it is like, uh, with software developers, they almost to a person think like, oh, I can develop software for anybody. And they they get this sort of sugar high at the beginning of engagements in a new space because they get to learn about that industry. They're like all excited about like, oh, I get to, you know, oh, the movie industry or something or like, or or even like manufacturing, you know, or oh, uh, an animal shelter, you know, and they get, they get all excited about uh, interviewing, finding out what the business objects are. What are the, what are the interesting nuances of business logic that might exist uh in on a on a movie shoot and and every time they throw away all of that learning because it doesn't apply to the next client they take on and it's like at a certain point and then they end up in the hourly trap or they end up with no no um uh, just referrals they don't they don't have any pipeline they never know when they're going to get a lead and they don't connect the dots between like like that feast famine cycle and the the 
the fact that they're jumping ship every time they're they're it's almost like they've got a project-based niche that's it they just take one client in that space and then they move on to the next one that's like the worst the worst uh case scenario so i i, I do want to get to like people that do switch niches a lot but i think you had one more prong of boredom <laughs> to get to and I'm, <laughs> one I'm more like, prong on the on the yes. fork of boredom yes let's close the open loop on that <laughs> so sometimes people will say you know they've been in business for a while or they've been doing it forever and they think they know everything that there is to know about whatever it is and if that's the situation i think that person underestimates how little they know about what they don't know because are you, are you talking about the craft or about the industry i'm talking about the industry mm -hmm. and it's easy to think that business is business and that profitability is simply revenue minus expense equals profit, <laughs> right? So if you want your business to be more profitable, well, bring in more revenue and spend less. Well, thanks. <laughs> and and it's really easy to to just believe. You know, people will say business is business, and sure, you know, to a degree, business is business. But understanding how to make a physician's office super dialed and smooth and to make sure that they're not getting stolen from or they're not missing payments from their insurer they're not um, to make sure that all their prices are in the right place is very different from a manufacturing business that has huge overhead costs and maybe they have stuff that's in the giant the global supply chain mm -hmm. they're very different businesses and to oversimplify of you know, to oversimplify business and to just think, you know, revenue, like if you just tell your clients, go bring in more money and spend less, just isn't that valuable and <laughs> kind of annoying. So, so for the, for my folks who it's easy to think that, you know, a lot and you do know a lot, but once you dive into your niche, you realize just how much there is to learn. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've been in like the, the parlor, you know, and there's like a whole mansion to, to explore beyond it. Yeah. And the, the beauty of it, you kind of alluded to it earlier, is once you get in there, you know, way deep down into the the dark recesses of the cavern that, you know, the rabbit hole, you find like crazy ways to provide value that that a generalist is just never going to find. They're just yeah. not going to know about it. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's the, the same for me. I've had that experience too with, I've been in CPA land for about four years now. And I would never would have imagined that I would have that I was going to uncover the things that I've uncovered along the way. Mm -hmm. And you're even sort of niched inside of CPAs, like you know, there's like a like a, uh, types, you know, like it's not these are not corporate, you know, firms. They're yeah. not like right, you know, they're it's they're... it's not the top 100 firms. It's not even the regional firms, and it's not even the smaller partner firms. I mean, I will sometimes take those on as um, clients, if as long as they can make decisions rather than have decisions go to committee where they die. <laughs> um, but it's soloists and small firm owners, like the single owners. It's a hundred thousand right. to a million, and and it's really the overworked problem first before it's the revenue problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big time. All right, cool. So, have you had the experience of of people kind of like serial niche switching? I. I have had the experience of serial niche switching. What happens more often is that right at the beginning, it's really common for a client to have two niches that they're choosing from. There's two obvious choices mm -hmm. and they can't quite pick. So they pick one and they try it on. It's like putting on a shirt and going into the dressing room. And usually pretty quickly, you know, if it's too tight in the shoulders, you're like, yeah, no. <laughs> And they and then they back out and they put that one back on the rack and and they say let's go with the other one. That's a really common experience because it's almost like process of elimination where they need to know what wrong feels like, in order to know what right feels like. Got it. And once they have that experience, then after that, then they're usually all in on their new on their second choice. Mm. So I can give you a quick story because. <laughs> <laughs> I had one that was rather funny of a CPA who's a client who's in her mid-50s-ish and um, had a lot of gamers 
who were in their 20s and making gobs of money and they were LLCs. And she's like, oh my God, they're just getting killed on self-employment tax. I could totally help these people. And she was all into it. And so we were like, okay, that was the direction that we were going. And she explored it all in for a couple of weeks. And then in our next meeting, she's like, these are so not my people. I don't understand Twitch and switch and ditch. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. And then her, and she's like, you know, I am a farmer through and through, and I have a ton of farmers and I know the farming business inside and out, and I know what my people need. And from there on out, she was all in on farmers and it's been great for her. So that's, you know, that's what it sounds like when you try on one niche and it's so clearly too tight in the shoulders. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, interesting. So uh, what, I don't know if you've got experience with this, but when, have you worked with anyone that maybe they were corporate and they're going solo and they don't have a client list yet. So they are literally starting from scratch and they're going to have to pick an industry that they, they really don't have. I mean, maybe they worked with them inside corporate, but I got to imagine that's a completely different experience mm -hmm. when you're coming in as the, as a business owner versus as an employee of a bigger business. How do you, like what, what, what would you do with someone who needs to pick one cold, like out of the blue, basically pick one cold out of the blue. So I have had this scenario and one of them had like a small client base. She'd kind of picked up a few along the way. So she had some sense of who she was working with. And from there, we were kind of able to help her pick and pick and pick and pick, and then narrow the ones that off board, the ones that she wasn't really enjoying. Mm -hmm. And then pick one cold is more like it's it's the same process, honestly, just without the data to back it up. It's who do you like working with? What gets you excited? What are the things that you think about when you can't help thinking about them? Mm -hmm. What are you, what are the kinds of work that, uh, what's the kind of work you enjoy doing? How is it that you want to help people? That's yep. a great question to help somebody with a, Already, you know, they're coming with their skill set. So they have a sense of how they want to help people in the world. And once we can kind of start in on that, that gives them some direction. In terms of the like cold, like cold turkey cold, yeah. um, starting, not stopping, you can just pick. And, but it's a little like, uh, yeah. you may find that you don't like them and that's okay. Like in that case, we're just like, all right, let's go to the next one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so what, once someone does pick, so, you know, farmers, I'm going to, I'm going to do, uh, accounting for farmers. Okay. What you're working with someone, what is the, you know, what's the public announcement? You sort of declare publicly that that is your new angle. Uh, and what do you do with that information? Do you just tell your network? Do you update your website? Do you change everything, your LinkedIn and all that, that must, that, you know, an objection I usually get, I'm sure you have too is like, well, what about my existing clients that I'm not getting rid of? You know, I'm yeah. gonna, maybe, maybe they're, maybe they let some go, the unprofitable ones go and the, the jerks, like you said, they let them go and, and they're going to just the other ones, they're going to let them kind of atrophy naturally. They're just going to naturally let them go. So do you, how do you tackle that? Do you say, no, you have to fire them all? Or do you say, maybe you spin up a new website and sort of, like what, what does that look like when someone's got, uh, still, they had a generalist practice. They're going to niche down on farmers, but still like 80% of their, their client base is not farmers. Yeah. How would you address that? So there are a couple ways and there's no necessarily, no, not necessarily a right or wrong answer. Um, the first thing is always manage to cash flow and don't, you know, chop off your entire business and then not have any money to keep the lights on. Right. So once we do that and figure out what's the cash flow that you need, then we're like, okay, what can we comfortably get rid of? And usually we're also trying to get time down first. So the whole, like in the time frame that we're pivoting or reshaping the practice, we're also reducing hours per week. So it's not a, it's less common that it's a light switch kind of thing and more of a turn up the dials one by one. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the, what do you say to your existing clients? What if they see my website? Yeah, exactly. Like, I can't so first tell you of all, your yeah. So your clients are not looking at your website usually. 
But in case they are, in case they randomly happen to walk by, it's better to be transparent in advance. And the script is something like, hey, you know, um, we're making some changes to our business that are unlikely to affect you anytime soon, but I wanted to make you aware of them just in case. And we're going to begin working with more of X clients like this and bringing and focusing going forward, bringing on only this type of X client. But you are a great client. We love working with you. We're happy for you to stay with us or whatever. And we just wanted to let you know that outwardly we're going to be, you might see some of these changes in some of our materials. So heads up, but it doesn't affect you. Heads up, but and don't you, worry. Yeah, heads up, but don't worry. And you might want to tack on something like, if it's true, um, you know, there may come a, for a time in the foreseeable future that we will only be working with clients inside this niche, but we're never going to just cut you loose and hang you out to dry. You wouldn't say that exactly, right? But that's right, the, right. <laughs> the sentiment. Um We'll take care of you for as long as you, you wouldn't say this exactly either, but we'll take care of you. And at some eventual future point, you may find an accountant who's better um, better able to serve you or who can serve you better. Mm -hmm. So you can say that if you want to, you don't have to. Right. No, but that's a good script. If, you're, if your conscience is preoccupied by this concern, yeah. it's easier to just be transparent. And really what people don't like is to be caught off guard. Right. And if you know that the reshaping your business process is going to be, you know, if you have a giant client roster, if my clients have a giant cl client roster and they need to reshape the whole thing, if it's gigantic, it might be an 18 month process. Usually it's more like a maybe, yeah, a year, a year to 18 months. But you can also kind of keep your non niche clients for as long as you want. But once you're fully in your niche, there's probably going to be a point where you're like, ah, oh, I'm really not helping this person as much as they deserve. And you might also feel a little bit guilty, like they deserve to have an accountant or CPA who's focused on their niche, because now I can see how much value it brings to my existing clients when they have an accountant who is focused on their niche. Right. But all that happens in due time. And the short answer is just be transparent and upfront about it. And it's not the kerfuffle that you imagine it's going to be in your mind. Yeah, right. It's like my teenage son is like, I can't go to school today. Why not? Look at my hair. It's like, dude, no one's looking at your hair. You're the only person that's thinking about your hair. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's not true in middle school, but but it's like it's that has that feel to it. Like, oh, I can't update my website because everyone's looking at it. It's like no one's looking at it. No Nobody's looking at it. Yeah. Right. And it's so, not like your fly is down. It's not like that. <laughs> it is like nobody is looking and every and you look fine. Yeah. Your hair is fine. Yeah. You're freaked out about one out of place, but like it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So this is great. Um, I, I love the time frames and I love the control it gives the the person who's making this transition. Managing to cash flow is super smart, uh, good advice. The transparency, I love that too, because you're right. People hate being surprised. Oh God, the day I saw the day I saw my my doctor, who you, you've actually interviewed on your podcast, uh, I absolutely love my doctor, and we he lived like one block away from me, and I saw a for sale sign go up in front of his <gasps> house, uh, and I was like, no, no, and I was like, I can't believe he didn't tell me he's moving. You know, like I was like, what am I gonna do? It turned out he was just moving like a couple blocks away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you but thought he was leaving the state. I thought he was skedaddle, right? Yeah. So, oh, anyway, but yeah, you just you just don't want. Even if he was leaving the state, I would definitely not have wanted to find out by, you know, by for sale sign. Yeah, for in sale the front sign. Yard. Um, cool. Okay, so we talked a little bit before the show about about blaming the niche for a lack of traction. Yeah, where, what have you seen? Like, what does that look like when that crops up for you, for your people? So it can sound like people aren't buying for this reason, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Like people aren't buying. I think my price is too high. People aren't buying. I think my packages are wrong. People aren't buying. I think my buyers, my niche might be cheap. <sighs> All the time. Yeah. People aren't buying. Um, something's wrong with my product. People aren't buying. I don't think my people see the value that I can bring. <laughs> people aren't buying. I think I need a new website. So, but if, th and this is just to be clear. I'm, and I'm laughing because it's the same thing. Like every, I hear the same thing, and it's just a completely different audience with completely different, you know, 
niche niches <laughs> i usually say niche <laughs> but we've been talking about we've been talking about niche <laughs> switching so i wanted to like keep the rhyme as hard though um so this is someone who has chosen one they're giving it a shot but they still are carrying that box of trepidation probably and they're not giving it they're not my feeling is like they haven't really committed to it and then but they blame all of these things that you're listing it's like they're not really committed to it and therefore it's not working and and then they're like oh it's not because i'm not watering it's because these seeds are bad for for one of these reasons that you just listed yeah and i think there's sorry did you have a question that you want to no, ask in there no i'm just opining <laughs> okay so it's um i think that we can underappreciate just how much there is to learn in business in order to make it a go and not that i want i want listeners to be intimidated but there are a lot of pieces there are a lot of moving parts and it includes you having a good product you talking about that product but also not just talking but speaking compellingly about the product and making sure that you're selling it to people who actually have dollars to spend on it and want to spend dollars on it and on and on so when you're not bringing in revenue, it's very easy. The brain just wants, the person is just scared, right? They're like, crap, yes. this isn't working or they're uncomfortable and they're, or they're frustrated or they're pissed off. There's something. Mm -hmm. And they want to get out of that feeling as quickly as possible. So the, um, the fastest, as fast as they can come up with a rational sounding or logical sounding excuse or reason rationale for why it's not working and therefore make a decision, it gives them a false sense of control that like, oh, I've established that it must be this thing. Therefore, I'm going to change that thing and that's going to fix it. And I'm going to get out of my own discomfort. <laughs> and what doesn't, and that doesn't work because I mean, maybe if you get lucky that you've picked one of the eight things, one of the eight reasons it's not working, but the challenge is to stay with it and to just let yourself be uncomfortable while you go down the line of, could it be this? Let me test this one thing, change this thing and see if that fixes it. And if not, then let me change the second thing. And if I try this thing and that doesn't fix it, then I go to the third thing. And to be serial about solving the problem rather than thinking that the niche is the problem. Right. And so now what, so you got a person in this situation, right? Where they're not getting traction for whatever reason. Is that an easy to confuse feeling with the doesn't fit right in the shoulders feeling? Or are these completely different? Mm, I, I think they're different. A, I, that's I think they're a good different. question. I haven't ever thought about it before. So let me see what my off the cuff answer is, which I reserve the right to change after the fact. <laughs> no. <laughs> and um, podcast. And law. my hunch is that they are different feelings. Like, you know, when people just aren't your people. Exactly. That's exactly why I think that's exactly what I was going to say, because you, that's what you said when with your farmer uh, Twitch streamer person, she said, these aren't my people. Yeah, they're just not your right. people. And you know it. Right. It's not a it's not a um, how come these people aren't buying? Let me count the ways. It's right. like you got access to them. You got traction. And you're like, no, that was a, that was a, this shirt doesn't fit. So yeah. I, I, I mean, think I tried different. when. I think they were different for me for sure because when I started out I co when I started out coaching I headed in the direction of corporate and it was like trying to stuff a cat in a dryer like, all four legs splayed out <laughs> Right you couldn't make me go Yeah but I was forcing myself and forcing myself because it made all the sense in the world in my in my own brain yeah. Um, but it made no sense. And there's the reason that it made no sense is because corporate is not my people. I've never had a corporate job for a day of my life. I do not understand corporate. I don't get it. I don't want to get it. And I was just making myself go there for what sounded like smart reasons. And but Which when were, I went into they my- They have all the money. They have money and they have money to spend, right? right. And they buy coaching. Yep. And when I went into, when I niched into small business owners, which is way more my people, and then into CPAs and accountants, which is also way more my people, I was immediately like, oh my God, these are my people. I found them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now I just need to figure out the rest. And the discomfort of figuring out the rest felt really different than the discomfort of these are not my people. Right. That felt like a party I couldn't leave soon enough. <laughs> I'm like, honey, are you ready to go? Can we get out of here, please? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad. I'm. I'm glad that uh, we brought that up because I could. I could feel the listener being like, "Hey, wait a minute. 
you, we, we talked earlier about switching and how come it's, you know, how do we know the difference between not getting traction and not my people? And I, I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's a great distinction. So one thing that keeps bubbling up in my mind is there are probably very, very few people listening to this show who are accountants or CPAs and from the outside don't really know what that is other than having one. And they, like, I don't know, they do my books, they do my taxes and, you know, like how hard is it? It's, you know, it, it's boring maybe, but I just think it's a really, really naive I know I have a very naive about the uh, uh, impression or idea of what the profession entails. So I wanted to maybe wrap up with, if you can think of some examples where one of your clients picked a niche or niche and kind of, I don't want to quite say innovated, but came up with products and services as a result of being way down the rabbit hole. So another, another way to put it is I don't want people to write this episode off as like, well, everyone needs to do their taxes. So, so CPAs kind of have it easy. They can niche down on anything. And at least in the U S there, someone needs to hire, like, like they're automatically going to get clients because somebody needs their taxes done. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I wanted to kind of tease out the, the difference between a generalist accounting firm and what you know like some one of your star students does like in terms of like a product ladder or pricing or uh, really just innovative offerings that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to come up with without going in the rabbit hole so i might get a little bit of hate mail for this answer <laughs> but um cpas do have it easy in a way and it's fair that they are in a profession that is in some ways legally required to purchase the yeah. service of. And the only other thing that I can think of that's that way is um, car insurance, you're, that you're basically legally required to purchase it. Mm -hmm. So they do have that advantage, and I think it's fair to give it to them. And yet, that doesn't mean that, well, the whole hourly billing thing is <laughs> just create a mess for them. But anyways, um, so they do have a lot of digging out and a lot of you know cultural badge of honor 2,500 hours build last year kind of stuff that they need to undo. So they have their yeah. own disadvantages. But in terms of product and services and, innov and innovation, this is something that I'm really looking for. And there is, there's innovation happening on the tech side, but there's not a lot of innovation happening on the business model side, mm. um, unless I have something to do about it. Something. Yeah something to say about that. And in terms of productized services and digital products, there's not a lot. And I look everywhere. But mm. one that I do have that comes to mind is one of my clients who has niched into stock options for startup IPO types. Mm -hmm. And that it lends itself really well to a productized service because it's a one-time event compared to monthly accounting for a regular business that month after month they have transactions that need recording. Mm -hmm. So when somebody is an employee at a company and they're high up enough that they have stock that's going to be worth something and they're going to have a huge tax event or liability or whatever, and there's a bunch of factors going into what's your risk and you know, do you want to sell it now or do you want to hold it or do you want to like when do you want to exercise it and all those things, she's developed a productized service that she can deliver to that client for a flat fee that helps that client understand what their options are. It runs scenarios and projections about, well, if the stock goes up this much or if it goes down that much, here's what your scenario is going to look like. Here's how much tax you're going to want to have set aside. Here's how much your windfall is going to be and so on. Mm. And when we set that up and priced it and she got used to selling it that way because we have to change how they sell because usually they're just like, um, they get a request to do some work and they get started doing some work and then they send the bill. Mm -hmm. So we have to change the mentality, change the conversation and it changed the method of delivery. And once we did all that and then she got comfortable selling it, she sold it at early four figures and she sold, I don't know, half a dozen. And then she raised it, maybe doubled the price and sold another half dozen, raised it to 7,500, sold another half dozen. And then, <laughs> you know, kept on going up and up and up until the spigot sort of um, stopped flowing yep. and then dialed back from there. And anyways, her effective hourly rate was like seven to 10 times what her hourly rate would have been had she done it hourly. Right. 
Killer. And she was able to control the timeline of it. You know, she knew how long they took and how many they would fit into her calendar, how many would fit into her calendar so she could control her calendar and not get herself as readily into an overworked position. So it was a really nice way to sell that service in a way that really worked for her. So that's been that's the one most prominent example. Yeah, that's a perfect, of that's like exactly what dialing I was in for. a productized service. Right. Is there this is maybe this is maybe getting outside of the point of what we're talking about today, but I'm curious I just to wrap up this idea of innovating, being able to come up with innovative products and services because you're in a very, very specific niche. Uh, how is it? I'm not sure what the regulations are around any of this, which is why I'm hesitating. But like, do your people sometimes verge into financial advisor land? Or I'm not sure where like the boundaries start and stop between a bookkeeper, an accountant, a CPA, a financial advisor, like, are there regulations around how, um, what kinds of products and services a CPA can offer without getting themselves in hot water? Or can they pretty much do whatever they want? So I need to stay out of the regulation land questions, mm -hmm. because that's not where um, I don't play in that sandbox. Of mm -hmm. Are there regulations? Yes, right. So an accountant can't call themselves an accountant without a um, in what depends on the state, but okay. oftentimes a degree in accounting. Um, and certainly CPA, you have to sit for the exam and so on. So what can you offer? What can you serve? Um, they cannot sell. Um, there's like your series 65 and 66 so that you can sell certain kinds of products and your series 55 and 56 so that you can sell other financial types of products and you can mm -hmm. get those things. Um, I'm slightly you know, speaking out of turn here, but the, it's the more the certified financial planners and the financial advisors who get those like series, whatever, 55 and 65 or something. Yeah. So they can sell those kinds of financially advisory types of products and services and the insurance types of products and services. Mm -hmm. So okay. that's where that lends itself more to the, by like the investment stuff. Right. And most CPAs don't go into that pool, but some CPAs have a CPA CFP, and then they can act as they kind of have um, both wrong, both sides of that zipper. Right. Let me ask you a question in a different way. How much advice should I expect to be getting from my CPA versus hands work? Where Ooh. <laughs> expect you know or deserve? Uh, how much do you think they? If someone who is really crushing it, someone who you think is is running a great solo CPA practice, is that the direct direction that you, is that one of the possible things that they could do to to get their time back and without losing money? Is it, you know, do more advisory stuff to create value ads for your best fit clients? Or is it more like uh, just, you know, shut down the tax factory and just do, uh, I don't know, fractional CFO stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a huge answer because you can, let's see. So let me just take them one at a time. How much advice do you, should you, should one expect or deserve from their CPA? I think the thing that's missing is a proactive stance from a CPA who has ample time to take a step back and look at a client's situation and think to themselves, this client, you know what they really need is da, 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 and have a list and be like, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? What do you, let's talk about what to implement and then give them the support, give the client the support to implement it. Because oftentimes what happens is the client goes to implement and it's bewildering. They end up like, don't, run into 40 questions and they're like, I mean, going. yeah, yeah. Like even me, I go to pay my taxes at Idaho.gov and ask me if I'm a, like, what's my title? And I'm like, I don't know. How about president? And it's like, nope, wrong answer. And I'm like, I don't know. How about partner? And I'm like, nope. And it's like, nope, wrong answer. I'm like, shit. Yeah, I don't I know. <laughs> you know, I, did, I had the exact, literally the exact same experience uh, the other day, trying to go to the ri.gov site to pay a corporate tax or, and, and you just go on there and the site is like, janky it's it's impenetrable <laughs> i mean it's like it gives you a list i'm like i'm here to pay my taxes i don't even I know. right and it did and it gives you this list of options that i literally had to screenshot and contact their support and be like which one of these four things do i pick it's it's tax isn't even in any of them it's, you know it's bewildering the yeah. questions they throw at you yeah and the CPA, because it's so easy for them and it's old hat, I think they underappreciate how bewildering that stuff can be for us. 
Yeah. And what what is high value for many of their clients is like, I hate to call it handholding, but we need some no, handholding just totally. to get this stuff done. Yes. So there's tons and tons of value there. A CPA doesn't have to, in air quotes, shut down their tax factory, but I think they need they could provide a lot of, of value by being much more proactive. And when we sort of, um, um, what, do, what do I call ourselves? Like the day-to-day -day users of, you know, whatever state.gov and all the things we need to do, we just get lost in that stuff and we just need help navigating it. Right. Yeah. Like if, if now if I had, you know, my software development days, when, I, you know, someone from a client's customer service department would be like, how do I do this thing again? I would say, I wouldn't say like, oh, click here, click here, click here, whatever. I'd record a screen. I'd, I'd like turn on my screen recorder. I would do it and I would send the video and be like, perfect. Thanks. Like if my CPA for all of those nasty government site things you have to do, if she just had, she could make one screencast of here's how you do it and send it to all of her clients. And it would be like, yeah, I can... oh, it would have been heaven. <laughs> I literally I lost think, an hour trying to like submit my annual report or so. I don't even remember. It was like, it was easily an hour of, of, of keyboard smashing fury yes. trying to like give the state 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been right there. I've even written my own for quarterlies, my own keyboard steps. And then the <laughs> next time I went in, I still couldn't follow my own keyboard steps. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? This is impossible. Yeah. But I think, so just at a high level, there's, People's situations are so different that it's just not the same every time. Right. And there's some, I mean, this is the case for niching, right? Is the more you can get your clients to look like each other, the more you can do things like that that may not be perfect, but they at least make things better. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm I'm right with you on the keyboard smashing fury. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. I'm looking at the clock. I know we have to run, but uh, this has been great. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise. Where can folks go to find out more about what you're doing? The easiest place is GeraldineCarter.com, and they can also find me with the same name on LinkedIn. Excellent. All right. Always, always a pleasure. Thanks, Geraldine. It's always fun to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.